Have you ever fallen down the rabbit hole of Google searches? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Easier with a Friend. We, like so many other people in the world, have sometimes found ourselves researching some weird stuff on Google. We actually were discussing this the other day and thought it would be a funny and possibly informative podcast episode. As always, we are your hosts, Chi and Elaine. And we are ready to dive into the weirdest searches we've ever done on Google. Yep. She knows this about me already, but I definitely have researched some weird topics on Google. I'm extremely curious about all manner of subjects. And since reading is one of my top hobbies, it kind of naturally happens that searching on Google becomes a way for me to satisfy my curiosity of the world. So getting into it, Chi, what are some of the weirdest topics you have researched? So I have young kids and sometimes they'll come up to you and ask you weird questions that you've never really thought about. Like the other day, (laughs) one of my daughter asked me, why is it that we have boogers in our nose? And I was like, okay, I'm not really sure as to why we have them. A quick Google search shows that obviously you have mucus in Mm -hmm. your nose. And it's there to help kind of lubricate or keep moisten the very thin mucous membrane that is inside your nasal passages. And the mucus help trap some of the things that you may be breathing in and it's trying to filter it out. Yeah, so it helps your nose stay cleaner and protect your body from possible bacteria that you may be breathing in. Yeah, and it's quite interesting because you never really think about the importance of booger, but definitely a kid who is probably digging for gold off the had <laughs> 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 a curious thought and would be thinking about that. But sometimes you think of things to Google because you're like on a road trip, for example. And mm-hmm. Like this one time we were driving on a road trip from Houston back to Denver. And we had passed up a few kind of small farms and we saw that they had like these small windmill that were placed throughout their property. Mm -hmm. And the curious thing was that the cows would be hanging around the bottom of these windmills. And we couldn't figure out why, because we thought that the windmill were generating electricity. Mm -hmm. Why would the cow care if there was electricity <laughs> not charging their iPhones or whatnot, right? <laughs> so I was like, why are the cows hanging around the windmills? And we took turns in the car making guesses. And I honestly, I should have written down what my kids were guessing, but it turns out that the windmills were generating electricity and they were generating electricity to operate a water pump And the water pump was pumping water from a well up to a water trough. And that's why the cows were hanging around there, because that's where the water was. I did not know that. The inner working of a farm. If you live on a farm, you're probably like, this is the dumbest thing for someone not to know. But (laughs) yeah, we have no idea why the cows would be hanging around a windmill. And I guess the other thing that I sometimes would have a curious thought about in Google. And this may be a little bit strange as to why, but sometimes when you're watching a show or you're watching an interview with a celebrity, I would sometimes pick up my phone and type in so-and-so celebrity's name 
and what height they are, like how tall they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange because it's like a very specific fact that it's not like, oh, who are they dating or what does their house look like or even how much money they make. I specifically want to know how tall they are. And I think it's partly because growing up as a short person, I am 5'2". It's hard to find a celebrity that you can kind of look to in terms of fashion and things like that, right? And so most of the models, of course, are like 5'10", whatever and up. And (laughs) of course, the way they look in an outfit has nothing to do with how I would look in an outfit. And I like the idea, I guess, or I like looking at celebrities who are about the same height as myself. Mm -hmm. And so I could see, oh, they look great in that trend that they're Mm -hmm. wearing, or that's how they would put together that outfit. And so it's a weird habit that I had developed since I was, I guess, about a teenager. And so now randomly, even if I'm not curious about their fashion, I would look up how tall they are. What about you, Elaine? I know you've done some weird stuff in terms of Googling on the internet. So tell us what you've discovered. Oh, I have done some weird Google searches. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to like jump down the rabbit hole with me. (laughs) But I will say that before we talk about my Google searches, I am guilty of occasionally looking up how tall a celebrity is and not for the same reason that you've done it. The times that I've Googled how tall a celebrity is, is usually if I'm seeing them on a show or a movie or whatever it is. And I'm like, good Lord, they're tall or good Lord, they're short. And then I will go on and Google how tall they are just so I have a frame of reference for their height relative to their co-stars in the show or whatever. But I'm assuming that lots of people have Googled how tall a celebrity is because if they haven't, why does Google make the information so easy to find? Because when you Google how tall a celebrity is, they don't make you click through different links of articles. The thing that pops up first on Google when you search a celebrity height is their height. So clearly Google gets that a lot and is equipped to handle these types of questions. (laughs) But I honestly can't even remember all of the weird Google topics that I'm sure I've looked up over my lifetime because this happens a lot. To give you all an example of a couple of things I've recently looked up. So my husband and I were going to lunch with my in-laws like a couple weeks ago. My father-in-law has a burger place that he really loves, which is like, I guess it's technically farm to table. Like they raise cows and then they also make burgers. The burger place is in the middle of all these cow fields. And so we're driving through all these fields and I'm looking out the window and I've noticed that there are like a zillion ant piles in the field. And I literally mean there's more ant piles than there are cows. There's just (laughs) ant piles every freaking where. Like every, I would say two, three square feet. I'm looking at them and I'm like, these cannot be separate ant colonies. There is no way that this many ant colonies can live in such a small space and get along. And I was like trying to remember how big the world's largest ant colony was. And I thought it was something like a square mile or something like that. Turns out I was horrifically wrong. The world's largest ant colony is 6,000 kilometers or something long. It literally stretches from Italy into France. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it's a super colony. And as a matter of fact, I'll give you the exact quote. The Argentine ant super colony, according to Google, is more than 6,000 kilometers. 
in the Mediterranean region, I think they had said something like it has more than a million queen ants alone. Oh, wow. Yep. So it's enormous. Apparently ants can form really giant super colonies. And if you have nightmares about ants, I'm sorry that I just quoted that to you (laughs) (laughs) to add to the stuff of nightmares. It was really quite surprising to me. I think when I was a kid and you used to see like different ant colonies, you'd assume that they were all separate colonies of ants. But that is not necessarily true, listeners, just so y'all know. I also agree with you that I think that on road trips is times when you Google the weirdest topics because a lot of times you're in your car and things go by outside the window and you're just like, what is that? What is that? And then (laughs) you have to Google. So on our most recent road trip, we took from Houston to the Carolinas. I Googled, how is sugar made? I know it was just really random. We were driving through sugarcane fields. And I was silently on my phone for a while. And my husband looks over and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing, just Googling. And he's like, what are you Googling? So he glances over at my phone. And then he's like, you're Googling how to make sugar because we're driving through sugarcane fields. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, maybe, maybe that's what I'm doing. You don't know my life. And he's like, that's just such a you thing to do. Like, oh, we're driving through sugarcane. Let's see how sugar is made, which, by the way, is just this whole thing. The way modern sugar is made, you cannot achieve it without industrial equipment. But apparently there's like the old fashioned way that sugar was made, which turns into kind of like brown sugar. Modern brown sugar is actually even more processed than white sugar. Apparently, the way that brown sugar is made these days, they process it all the way until it's white sugar and then they add molasses back in to make brown sugar. So it's extremely processed. Interesting. I know. I thought that brown sugar was made the old traditional way where you like burn sugarcane juice until it turns all brown and stuff. And then it becomes brown sugar. No, because apparently it's then too sticky and stuff. So they process it all the way until it's refined white sugar and then add enough molasses back in to make brown sugar. So I wonder the recipes that specifically call for brown sugar, why does it specifically need brown sugar? I always thought it was because of the brown sugar being a little bit more moist compared to regular sugar. That is a thing. So, I mean, I'm a pretty avid baker. The reason that I add brown sugar for some of my recipes is A, partly because of the moisture content. That is true. But B, it's mostly because of the taste of the molasses in brown sugar. Mm. which you really could just, I mean, depending on the recipe, you could probably use white sugar and add molasses, but then the easier way to do it would just be to use the brown sugar because it's already got that flavor in there. And depending on the cookie recipe, you might want to do dark brown sugar. You might want to do light brown sugar. You might want to just do white sugar, depending on kind of the look and the texture and the overall taste that you're trying to achieve. But Mm -hmm. for something like my chocolate chip cookies, I prefer to use a dark brown sugar because the extra bit of molasses, even though it's not an active flavor that you're tasting really when you're having the cookies, because mostly the chocolate is overwhelming, but it gives it like a little bit extra depth of flavor that I think comes through more than say light brown sugar or just white sugar. Gotcha. Yep. Personal opinion on the sugar thing. But anyway, (laughs) so I Googled that. And then on the same trip, we were driving through, I think it was Louisiana. And anyone who's driven through Louisiana, you know, there's a lot of factories and things like that along the way. 
And there was this one factory that was like at the top of their smokestack, like the top of the plume where it comes out, there was a flame on the top of the plume. And it was the only flame that I'd seen on the entire road trip. And so I asked my husband, I was like, why is the flame on? Do you know why they put the flame on on the top of that thing? Is that like something's going wrong and it needs to be shut down? Like, what, <laughs> what is happening? You know? And he goes, I don't know, Google it. So we Googled it. I didn't even think Google was going to come up with an answer because it just seemed like such a really minor question. But sure enough, Google had an answer. And I was right when the flame is on that actually signals that something is wrong with the smokestack. The flame comes on whenever that particular smokestack is releasing chemicals back into the air. So the flame is there to burn off the chemicals before they get released into the air, essentially. And so when the flame comes on, that means something is actually wrong with that particular smokestack and it needs to be serviced. So now the more you know. (laughs) If you've driven anywhere close to the Houston Ship Channel, which of course I used to live in Houston, Mm -hmm. you will see so many different refineries and factories. And there is a significant number of them with their flames on. And now with that information you've just given me, I am like, they routinely need to service their smokestacks or whatnot because most of the time when I'm driving through there, I see multiple flames on. So that's pretty scary to think about. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a whole thing. I was like, oh, so something is wrong with that. <laughs> but I mean... And then, of course, your typical Google searches, those are the ones that kind of stand out in recent memory. But I honestly look back on my Google search history and I'm like, man, I use Google search all the time. Like anytime something going on with my dogs, I'm always like, what is happening with my dog? (laughs) Oh, I do the same. But with my kids, there's a weird rash or whatnot on them or whatever it is. I will Google to see if I could figure out what it is that's wrong and if I need to call the doctor. Yep. Speaking of rashes, I recently actually today Googled COVID rash because I am having a rash and I just gotten over COVID and I didn't even think originally to link the two. So I honestly don't know what made me think like, oh, I should Google COVID rash and see if that's a thing. But apparently it's a thing, people. So in addition to all the other things you suffer during COVID, apparently you can also get a mysterious rash that may disappear in somewhere between two to 12 days. Congratulations. So, yeah, anytime I basically have a question, I think Google is my kind of go to answering service, as I'm sure it is most people. I will put a caveat in here that you really have to be cautious about the things you look up on Google because, on the one hand, most of the topics that I'm researching are completely nonsensical. But if it's something important, right, I would caution you (laughs) that you really need to do a lot more research, make sure that the source material that you're looking up is actually reliable sources. And you can look up stuff on Google and you can take it at face value, but it could also be wrong. And I think most of our listeners probably know this, but you know, just a caveat, if you're looking up anything and you're just like, this kind of sounds suspect, it might be like Google is not always going to produce the correct result. Google is going to produce the top result, right? that usually gets clicked on the most or what Google assumes is correct information, which might not always be true. So that's just a little something for yourselves to be cautious whenever you're out there searching around. 
for information. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the end of Easier with a Friend for today. Once again, we appreciate every one of you so much for tuning in. If you had fun listening to today's episode, take the time to reach out to a friend and connect. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Facebook, Spotify, or Apple Music so you won't miss any new episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Easier with a Friend, on our Facebook page, Easier with a Friend, or email us at easierwithafriend at gmail.com. Check out our website, easierwithafriend.com for today's transcript.